about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm David. I'll be your preacher. At the beginning of every year at Moore College, we run a number of orientation programs to help our students adjust to their new way of life as a theological student. Studying at a theological college is actually very a very different experience to many other education experiences that people might have because it contains a wide variety of life experiences all squashed in together. The people who come to Moore College may not have studied at a tertiary level before, so they need help getting used to that. They may have to learn how to worship God together in an Anglican context. Not everyone who comes to Moore College is an Anglican. They may have to learn how, literally, to live together as Christians uh, in a community. We have accommodation for single people, uh, for married couples and families. All of these things shape them for service amongst God's people, whether it's in a church uh, or at a campus, university campus or in a foreign mission context. The students have to learn how to be God's household, how to be shaped by more colleges' practices in order to be ready for a future of living in service of God and of the church and the unsaved world. And in a similar way, I think, the sermons that Moses preaches in the book of Deuteronomy that we've been reading here uh, for the past few weeks, the sermons that Moses preaches are like an orientation program for Israel. They're about to come and take possession of their inheritance. They've never lived like this before. So Moses gathers them together to orientate them, how to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. They are a new generation emerging at many different levels from the wilderness in order to face a future with the Lord in the promised land. And so throughout Deuteronomy, Moses gives them a simple motto to hang on to. Remember where you came from and how you got here. If anybody asks you what is the book of Deuteronomy about, you know, if you go to Bible trivia or something like that, well, actually only people like me go to places like that. But if anyone ever asks you, Deuteronomy, what's it about? Remember where you came from and how you got here. Now, we have a particular application of that theme in Deuteronomy chapter 8 now. So please, you know, swipe or flick or switch or whatever you need to do to get Deuteronomy 8 in front of you. You might be old school, just pick up a book and flip to the page. Please have Deuteronomy chapter 8 in front of you. Uh, and as before we uh, get into it a bit more deeply, uh, let me pray. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of freedom and uh, prosperity that enables us to gather in public like this to read your word together without fear of interruption or persecution. Lord, give us grateful hearts and open our ears to hear your voice tonight. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So, Deuteronomy chapter 8, two lessons and a warning. Lesson number one, the wilderness was boot camp. 
the wilderness experience for the new generation of Israel was like boot camp. I used to run with friends around Blackwattle Bay uh, early in the mornings, down through Forest Lodge, past the, what is now the apartment blocks next to the old tram shed, and through and into the parks next to the water down around Glebe. And in season and out, each morning there would be groups of fleshy recruits running on the spot and beating the air, guided and governed by plastic cones and a ubiquitous trainer who may or may not have been capable of fulfilling the instructions that they were barking. Have you ever wondered about that? You know, I used to run along and see, I don't think that trainer can do what he's making the rest of those people do. Be that as it may, boot campers earnestly subjected themselves to various disciplines with the promise of a buffer bod or a perter presence. Moses says to the people of Israel, the wilderness was like boot camp. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. So Moses speaking about the Lord to Israel. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. A little further down in verse 16, he fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. The Lord led Israel through the desert to train them in humility, to test their faithfulness, to discipline them so that they would be ready to live as his people in the land. Now, as we've been making our way through uh, Deuteronomy, we've already been told that the previous generation, the point of them going through the uh, long journey was actually to wait for those rebels to die. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, we read this. The time we spent travelling from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley was 38 years until the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. You see, for the generation of Israelites who left Egypt, the wilderness journey became a curse on their lack of trust in the Lord. But for the children, it was 40 years of training that enabled them to supersede their parents and come in and take the land that the Lord had promised them. So, Israel, remember where you came from and how you got here. Lesson number two, the Lord graciously disciplines his people. The Israelites were trained in grace by God's generous provision for their needs so that when they arrived in the land, they would prosper. Look at verse 3 of chapter 8. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known. And in verse 4, your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. And in verse 15, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint-like rock for you. Despite the fact that several million people were on the move 
through some of the harshest desert country in the whole world, never a day went by without the Lord himself providing food, water and more. You see, when the Lord disciplines his people, he does so like a father who cares for his son. It's right there in verse 5 of chapter 8. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. See, the training in discipline from the Lord is the measured and meaningful care of a father for his son. Not the bellicose berating of a would-be sergeant major trying to motivate a motley lot of lycra-clad lopers. As I mentioned, one of the key disciplines for Israel to learn was to trust God and from his actions, from the way he disciplined the Israelites, they were to learn to trust in God's gracious provision for their basic needs. The Lord will provide. Where are we going to get something to eat? The Lord will provide. How can we drink out in the desert? The Lord will provide. What will we wear? Where will we sleep? How will we be a people? The Lord will provide. So in general, in terms of the overall orientation program for Israel, the people need to remember where they came from and how they got to this wonderful new land. And it is a wonderful land. Look at verse 7 of chapter 8. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams of water, springs and deep water sources, flowing in both valleys and hills, and a land of wheat, barley, figs, vines and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The land of Canaan to which the Lord has brought this people is a veritable paradise compared to their experience in the wilderness. Now, in the Lord's kindness, uh, I was able to study for my doctorate at Cambridge University in the United Kingdom. My family and I moved from Canberra, where we had been living previously. At that time, at the time we moved from Canberra, the eastern seaboard of Australia was suffering one of its longest and harshest droughts in a century. All throughout southern Queensland, New South Wales and into Victoria, the countryside was harsh and barren. The ground had become iron hard with vegetation reduced to straw-like tufts. Rivers and dams shrunk back to their beds and the sky stretched over as relentlessly clear for for the better part of a decade. Do you remember that? Do you remember having water shortages in Sydney because Warragamba Dam had got so low it was almost poisonous? Does any of you remember that? And then we moved to England. I distinctly recall that one of the most profound experiences of culture shock was the fact that every afternoon, even in summer, there would be what felt to me like torrential rain every day. And the worst part about it all was that great pools of water would gather on the lawn 
the gutters would overflow and streams would flow down the street and they wasted it all. I'd been living in regional New South Wales where we keep the politicians. The ground was as hard as this sandstone. I wanted to run out with a bucket and scoop up the water because we were wasting it. Moses tells the people of Israel, that's what the promised land will be like. There'll be water everywhere. Streams and pools in the valleys, in the hills, clear waterfalls, mountain dew. And consequently, the countryside will be like a garden. In the later parts of Deuteronomy, it's described almost like Eden, a verdant treasure trove of every kind of necessity and delicacy. As Moses says, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing. Even when that land is hard, where the rocks might remind you of the desert floor, it will be because they are ready to be mined for smelting and forging with iron and copper. You see, for this people, Israel, it's no more the itinerant existent of desert nomads. Israel will build a civilization marked by all the sophisticated technologies of their age. No more gathering manna up off the ground. They'll be able to plough the earth with ploughs that they make out of iron that they've smelted. Chariots. No more tents. There'll be fortresses. There'll be threshing floors. There'll be agrarian industry. They won't just be a collection of people. They'll be a nation when God brings them to this land. Two lessons and a warning. Be careful. Be very careful. It might seem strange that Israel could be or even should be apprehensive at the prospect of leaving the hardships of the desert for the relative peace and prosperity of the land. Nevertheless, Moses warns them to be careful of two very real dangers. Look there in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Moses says, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his command, the ordinances and statutes I am giving you today. In verse 14, Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of of slavery. Remember where you came from and how you got here, warns Moses. When I was in charge of a part-time studies uh, program at college, I'd spend a little bit of time at the beginning of the year talking to the new students and uh, warning them, really, uh, that uh, when they come to college, no one will really know who they are and what's worse, no one will actually be bothered by that. You see, if someone has come to us after serving in as, as an intern or an apprentice in their church, they need to get used to the fact, at least to begin with, that no one will know who they are and nor will they be especially bothered by that. When you serve with a ministry team at a church, uh, even as an apprentice or an intern, you get used to being at the centre of things in your community. 
You get used to everyone knowing your name and recognising you as someone to whom they could or even should be connected. When new people come up, oh, that person looks like they're in charge. I'll talk to them. And we encourage our interns and apprentices to look out for new people. It's your job to help people get integrated, to get personally connected. And so, when people come to college, they leave that place of connection and they come to a new community. And they've lost all those connections. And what's more, no one seems to know how important it is to gravitate towards them in the crowd. So I have to warn them. I know this is going to happen. So I say, look, be kind to yourselves. It's a different circumstance. And be kind to the rest of the community. They, they don't know how important you are yet. But Moses has a very different warning for the Israelites, doesn't he? They need to be careful not to take the Lord's generous provision for granted. And it could happen in two different but related ways. Firstly, the Israelites might forget the Lord and consider the fruits of their labours as their own achievement. It's there in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your fathers as it is today. I gave you this wealth. I gave you this power, says the Lord. Moses warns the Israelites, once you pass from the austerity of the desert to the ease of the land, one thing will not change. The Lord is still the one who provides you with all that you need. Even if his methods are less direct and the consequences are more sophisticated, don't be fooled into thinking that you are not equally dependent upon the Lord in plenty as you were in obvious scarcity in the desert. And the second aspect of their warning is more stark, but it's no more important. The people might forget the Lord and consider the bounty of their existence has possibly come from a different source. Look at verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods to worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will perish. Moses warns the Israelites, once you pass from the austerity of the desert to the ease of the, and comfort of the land, don't be fooled into thinking that your blessings have come from a more immediate and superficially more attractive source like the fertility cults of the nations around you. You see, Israel could very easily become like that cliche of the middle-aged man who, after his family has grown, forgets the wife of his youth, the mother of his children, and abandons her for a more superficially attractive means of having his needs met. Now, some of you may have personal experience of that. And let me assure you, the Lord is with you. One of the most consistent metaphors for Israel's unfaithfulness throughout the entire Bible is unfaithfulness in marriage. And Israel could so easily slip into this 
if they go after other gods. The warning that Moses gives Israel in Deuteronomy 8, well, it's not the kind of cajoling that I do to new students. It's not the kind of fussing that parents do. You know, don't forget your keys, don't forget your phone, don't forget your shoes. Have you had something to eat today? It's a warning not to presume upon the gracious provision of the Lord. Remember where you came from and how you got here. Well, what about us? What is a, a passage like Deuteronomy 8 got to say to people living in an urban metropolis like Sydney some three and a half thousand years later? Because surely so much has changed since then. For starters, I think when it comes to taking the Lord for granted, Israel were lightweights. Let's face it, from the Bronze Age right through to the middle of the 18th century, the world global domestic product didn't change at all. It was a flat line. People had a few possessions, possibly somewhere to live, and maybe enough food to consistently get through the day. Compared to us. We are three times more likely to die of obesity than famine. We have whole industries dedicated to convincing the rich that they don't have enough. It's called advertising. We treat chefs better than they would have treated priests. Israel were lightweights. And who better than the recently graduated and newly remunerated, contracted, salaried to be powerful? You're between 25 and 35, tertiary educated, professionally employed, possibly married, maybe not. You are the most powerful people in the world. You can go anywhere, do anything. Is it possible that you could be like Israel and forget the Lord and think it's with my own power that I brought myself to this place? Or perhaps you could be tempted to go after other gods, more attractive, more immediate, more sensual promises of fertility, of power, of influence. If you haven't, you're not trying very hard because everything around you is trying to whisper into your ears and say, yes, it's true, you do deserve this. See the transition that we've gone? A gift from the Lord, my right. That's our modern culture, isn't it? You deserve what you have. It's your right. And in fact, if God doesn't hurry up and supply more, well, then there'll be a good reason for tapping out. See, nothing has changed between us and Israel. We're just better at it than they were. If you want a summary of the Old Testament, it's those two mistakes. 
forgetting God and thinking that you've done it yourself and going after other gods. That's the other 34 books left in the Old Testament after Deuteronomy. That's exactly what happens. But God will not be put off. And so he goes into the desert himself in our second reading. God the Son goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasts, he's hungry. And the evil one comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, feed yourself. And how does Jesus respond? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So dedicated is God to the promises being fulfilled through his people that he goes into the desert himself. And that is the story of Jesus' life and ministry. He put himself under the word of God, even to the point of death on the cross, to prove once and for all time that the God of Jesus Christ has the power to bring the dead to life. How could you not trust that God to provide for all your needs? Nothing, nothing can overcome us like death. But Christ has overcome death for us. So perhaps we ought to consider the lessons that are put before us in Deuteronomy. When you walk into coals or woolies and you see the verdant fields laid out, more food in one room than Israel could have produced in a year, even when they were in the land. Can you learn to thank God first? Now, we've got some help. We hear voices around saying, make sure you know the source of your food. Buy local. Get original blends. Deuteronomy says, go further. Remember where you came from and how you got here. Can you believe that God provides more than coals? Can you believe that Jesus Christ has power over the Sydney real estate? That the Lord will provide for you to live? We believe in a God who brings the dead to life. No corporation can top that. Remember where you came from and how you got here. Let's pray. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.